This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. 45 yards rushing on the drive. Here's a cutback for the touchdown for Crowell. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. This week, it's going to be a solo podcast. I'm going to talk through some of the recent articles we put together on the current state of the franchise. Seems like a good time to kind of take a step back and look at the overall state of things, how the Jets have got to where they currently are right now, 3-6, and six, going into a game against a 2-7 and seven Buffalo Bills team. Sam Darnold not slated to play uh, due to a foot injury. Josh McCown will start on Sunday. Not an ideal situation, uh, to say the least. Uh, before I dive into everything, I want to remind you guys to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Also, hit us with a review or rating on iTunes. I think we're eight away from 300 on iTunes, so help get us over that threshold. Also, remember to check out our store at The Loyalist, which is linked on our website. Uh, make sure to give a follow to all of our different writers who are churning out some great ton- content there. Uh, we link everything up through my Twitter account, which is jcaparoso, uh, and we also post everything up on the Turn on the Jets Facebook page and Instagram account, which is facebook.com backslash turn on the Jets, instagram.com slash turn on the Jets underscore IG, and then we also have Joe Blewett cranking along every single week with really good in-depth film breakdowns on the Turn on the Jets YouTube, which is youtube.com backslash turn on the Jets TV. All right, PSAs out of the way. Let's dive into talking about everything, coming off a very ugly, very difficult to watch 13-6 Jets loss to the Miami Dolphins. This was a game and a situation coming into where Jets were 3-5. and five. I think the popular fan consensus was that this team would beat Miami with Brock Osweiler under center, beat Buffalo at home with... Nathan Peterman, Derek Anderson, or Josh Allen under center, and go into the bye at 5-5 five and five with a little bit of hope. Knowing that hope was probably a little bit misplaced because of who the wins were against, but still playing meaningful football in December or late November when you come back from the bye week. Uh, the Jets, unable to even check that box, go into Miami, lose a game that was extremely difficult to watch when you're heading towards your eighth straight year of missing the playoffs. There's a lot of difficult football games to watch. Uh, This was up there with the worst. It was a game that was poorly played on both sides. Uh, A lot of traded field goals. The only touchdown in the game was a pick six from the Dolphins in the fourth quarter uh, that came after an errant snap from Spencer Long, of which there was about 10,000 on Sunday. Sam Darnold, let's not sugarcoat it, right? I like Darnold. I think he played a very good and encouraging first six games. I think considering the situation, he was fine against Chicago. Uh, Minnesota was not pretty. This Miami game was awful. I think it was the worst game he's played this year. I think he threw a really bad interception early in the game and for the first time got a little rattled and a little gun-shy. And despite having no help from his supporting cast, you cannot – excuse the four interceptions and yes the last two interceptions were desperation throws on fourth down but he had other passes in that game that were lucky not to be intercepted so I think it ended up evening it out evening out the way it probably should and he was just inaccurate and was not playing with the normal 
sort of aggressiveness and confidence that he normally does. So you don't benefit from giving him a, you know, a complete pass or grading him on some kind of ridiculous curve. He's a rookie. He's going to have bad games. This was a bad game. He played very poorly. The hope, of course, is that he learns from this and improves on it. We saw that earlier in the year when he had a bad game against Cleveland and Jacksonville and then came back and played a handful of or back-to-back very good games against Denver and the Colts and hit throws that he had missed in those two games. Now, he's been on a fairly rough three-game stretch. Uh, The problem now, of course, is that he injured his foot in this massacre of a 13-6 13-6 to six loss, as much of a 13-6 to six loss could be a massacre, and is not going to play against Buffalo. The Jets have their bye week after. Judging from what I've heard, it seems that the internal expectation is that he will be back for the New England game. Of course, that could be fluid depending on what happens over the next few weeks, but you want Arnold obviously playing as much as he possibly can. Uh, nobody... You know, is benefiting from Josh McCown, 39-year-old starts for a three and six team, as we saw last year. What you get out of Josh McCown starts uh, is five or six wins, and having to trade multiple picks to move up higher in the draft to get the player you want to actually get. So, we'll talk a little bit more about McCown and the quarterback situation going forward towards the end of this podcast. Want to wrap up some additional thoughts in the Miami game? I think. As bad as Donald was, and we just talked through that, the supporting cast from the coaching staff to the rest of the offensive players was an absolute atrocity. I think the defense did their job. Uh, They beat up on a bad quarterback who was playing with his backup right tackle. They prevented them from scoring any touchdowns. They sacked Brock Osweiler four times. They didn't force any turnovers, which you you probably needed in that game to win. Uh, But they did their job, so you can't nitpick what the defense did in that game. Offensively, Spencer Long playing despite clearly not being healthy had anywhere from about 8 to 15 errant snaps, depending on how generous you want to be with the grading. Completely inexcusable that he was out there. Todd Bowles leaving him out there and being that tone deaf and unaware of what was going on while his quarterback is trying to track errant snaps all over the place is one of the more ludicrous things I've seen since I started watching and covering this team, and I started watching this team when I was five, and I started covering this team when I was 16 or 17, I don't have an explanation for it. There is nothing that makes sense around leaving a clearly hurt player in the game when he's directly negatively impacting your 21-year-old franchise quarterback. You have a capable backup center who's arguably just as good, if not potentially better, than your starting center, who is not all that good as is. Uh, Put him in the game. Correct a very correctable error. There's no reason to wait as long as the Jets did until there was a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter and the damage had already been done to make that transition. And generally, myself, our website, has not pounded on Todd Bowles because, as I said in an article this week, In my mind, it's plainly evident that the Jets need to make a change on their coaching staff. Bowles has had to cycle through offensive coordinators. He has not shown any progress in game management. Jeremy Bates has been way over his head as an offensive coordinator this year, doing some of his worst work against Miami. The Jets are ridiculously predictable, ridiculously not innovative on offense. 
I have not seen anything yet from Bates that indicates he's any better than John Morton, who was a replacement-level offensive coordinator. And there is no reason to think that Bowles, Bates, or anyone on this coaching staff should or will be back next year. I don't think there's really any reason to beat a dead horse around that. What we do generally focus on a little more is Mike McCagden, who has gotten a complete free pass from most of the fan base and from a lot of the media around <clears throat> around the Jets team. And that's because, to his credit, he's done a very good job of being proactive every season of distributing a narrative and working the media uh, to not put heat on him. Every year there is a built-in excuse why the Jets do not need to compete, why they do not need to win. 2015, it was this regime's first year. They were cleaning up a huge mess. The fact that they went 10-6 and six was a miracle. It was amazing. Even though they didn't do enough to get in the playoffs, executive of the year, now you have carte blanche. No one could even think or ask questions about his job security for the next few years. 2016, the logic was that, well, we have to run it back from what we did in 2015, even though that failed miserably. 2017 was, well, we're going to have $100 million in cap space and we're rebuilding, so we're not competing this year. Now in 2018, it's we again have $100 million in cap space. We have our rookie quarterback, but of course we're not competing this year. I don't know how many years that's allowed to go on. Four years is a long time in the NFL. Does McCagney get five years? Does he get eight years? Are we in year nine saying, well, the Jets have $90 million in cap space and they're going to compete next year because they've gradually built their team piece by piece by piece. So as I see it, and as I've written and other writers have written on our website, if you're going to clean house, fully clean house, don't do this sort of half-measure mismatch, bringing in a head coach who's now going to potentially have to either report concurrently with McCagnin, which is the Jets' current structure, or report into him. And at the end of the day, the question is, you're firing the coach. You're going to have $100 million to spend next year. You're going to have a first-round pick. You have three or four years left in Darnold's rookie contract to take advantage of that window. Based on how McCagnin has spent excess cap space previously, do you trust him to spend that money properly? Based on how he's drafted, do you have trust him to draft properly? And based on those two other things, do you trust him and does he deserve the ability to have a strong input in the head coaching decision? Now, despite popular belief. McCagnin was hired before Bulls. He was involved in the decision-making process to have him hired. It was not a traditional process. Really, Charlie Casserly pushed through both of these hires, and the Jets have a unique situation where both the GM and the head coach report directly to the owner, which is a problem and something that probably should be rectified. But McCagnin was aware of who the coach was going to be, and he met with Bulls and was involved in the sign-off process. So, if you revert it back to the original question, should he be trusted to spend $100 million? Well, the Jets had about $100 million in cap space last year. I saw what all the fans' wish list was. I know what my wish list was in free agency. We saw a lot of names mentioned. Ryan Jensen, Weston Richburg, Jarek McKinnon, Allen Robinson, Trey Burton. Uh, Tremaine Johnson, to be fair, was a common one. E.J. Gaines. Uh a lot of different names mentioned out there on how this team could improve the roster. The Jets' big free agent haul that everyone said the 2017 losing was worth was Tremaine Johnson, Spencer Long, uh, Terrell Pryor, Isaiah Crowell, 
Andre Roberts, Brandon Copeland, uh, and a couple other pieces. I'm sorry, Avery Williamson as well uh, was probably one of their bigger was one of their bigger signings alongside Johnson and Spencer Long. Uh, and that's how the money was spent. So Spencer Long has been awful. Uh, he hasn't been able to stay healthy, which was a problem before he came here. So you can't not blame McKagan for it because he had trouble staying healthy with the Redskins. He was clearly a worse option than Richberger Jensen, who the Jets were unable to land, despite allegedly having interest in both. Tremaine Johnson has done nothing through nine games. He's been injured most of them, and when he was out there, he struggled substantially, and now he's going to be 29. Uh, an old age for a cornerback when he moves into his next season with the Jets. Uh, Isaiah Crowell, outside of a ridiculous Denver game, has been pedestrian at best and is already playing less than Elijah McGuire in his first game back. Terrell Pryor was cut half a quarter of the way through the year and is currently on Buffalo and is probably their best receiver. Uh, Roberts and Copeland have been nice value signings, and Avery Williamson has been a good replacement for Demario Davis. So that's what your $100 million got you. Now, McCagan has also spent... In previous years, he's signed guys like Jarvis Jenkins, who've gotten cut after a couple weeks. Um, he had his big splurge to get Revis and Cromartie, uh, and tr- we'll get into the trades later. That led to the 10-6 and six season for one year, followed by a huge decline falling off a cliff when guys like Revis, like Marcus Gilchrist, uh, like the other pieces that were added, uh, ultimately did not perform. Um He's had hits and misses in the trade market. Sheldon Richardson trade, terrific. Uh, signing Teddy Bridgewater and flipping him for a pick, terrific. Being aggressive after not landing Kirk Cousins and going to get Sam Darnold, great move and necessary move. They also had good short-term value trades in acquiring Marshall and then acquiring Fitzpatrick for what they got out of him in 2015. But doubling down with Fitzpatrick in 2016 – didn't work. Trading a draft pick for Ryan Clady did not work. Uh, trading a draft pick for Zach Stacy did not work. Trading back in the draft to get Devere Posey did not work. Um, hit and misses in the trade market is what I would say. Trading a fifth round pick for Rashard Robinson did not work. Uh, you look at the draft classes overall that have been put together, and that's really where McCagnan was hired for, right? He had a background in scouting. Uh, that is how you have to build your team. Because free agency, as we know, you could have all the cap space in the world. The best players generally don't hit the market. So when you're talking last year, we're talking about Le'Veon Bell, Demarcus Lawrence, Ezekiel Ansah. None of those guys hit the market. Uh, teams franchise their best players or they re-sign them to new contracts. So this year, maybe some of those guys that I just mentioned do finally hit the market. But a lot of guys that fans are talking about now as being targets, get re-signed. Ali Marpet, hey, the Jets will improve their line. They'll go get Ali Marpet. Guess what? The Bucks resigned him. He's not hitting free agency. And there's a lot of teams with a lot of cap space. You are not going to get every single top-tier player that you want, no matter how much money you have. Uh, so maybe you hit one or two things, but building your team through free agency, not sustainable. You need to hit in free agency. You need to hit on your trades. You need to trade a fifth-round pick for Josh Gordon like the Patriots did, not a fifth-round pick for Rashard Robinson like the Jets did, as just one-off example. You really got to, as we said, build through the draft. So let's go through what we've seen. We're through four draft classes, and let's just quickly tick through them. So we go back to 2015. 
Uh, first round pick, Leonard Williams. We're going to go back through 2015, starting through all the picks. First round pick, Leonard Williams at number six. Good to very good starter. Not an all-pro yet uh, in the fourth year. Uh, was a Pro Bowl alternate once. Has a handful of games per year where he looks pretty dominant. Has a handful of games per year where he disappears. Could have made a case that the Jets already had a saturation of talent at that position. And what the position that Leonard Williams plays is a bit of a low-impact position sometimes week to week. At the end of the day, hard pick to overly complain about, I suppose. But... The reality is that Williams is not quite as good as all the fans make him out to be. Uh, his resume, resume sort of speaks to that because he has too many games where he disappears. Devin Smith, not in the team anymore. Lorenzo Maul, not in the team anymore. Bryce Petty, not in the team anymore. Jarvis Harrison, not in the team anymore. Deion Simon, not on the team anymore. Jarvis, Jarvis Harrison, one of only two linemen that's been drafted by McCadden through four years. Uh, next year, Darren Lee, first-round pick. Lee's been improved in year three than he was the first two years. Still, I would say generally a league average starting inside linebackers. Had a couple big plays this year, but consistent, consistently week-to-week week, is not one of the better or best inside linebackers in the NFL. Second-round pick, Christian Hackenberg. I don't think I need to say anything about that. Third-round pick, Jordan Jenkins. He's a starting outside linebacker for this team. Would probably not start in all that many teams in the NFL, Coming off a nice game against Miami, capable player to find in the third round. Hard to complain there. Justin Burris, off the team. Brandon Shell, starting right tackle, had a tough game against Miami, uh, but looks like a capable starting player, which is good to get in the fifth round. Lachlan Edwards is the Jets punter. Sharon Peak is an okay special teams player for the team. 2017, Jamal Adams. Somewhat similar to what I said about Leonard Williams, although with a higher ceiling. Adams has been good to very good so far. Looks like he has the potential, more so than Williams, to be a future All-Pro player. Definitely a leader in the locker room. I'm not shy about saying I would have taken Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes instead. That being said, Adams is a good football player to a very good, maybe great football player who will be a starter here and get a second contract from this team. The question now is, does he become an All-Pro player? Marcus May. Started off his rookie year very good. Struggled down the stretch. Um has been hurt most of this year and been pretty inconsistent when he's been out there. Uh, the logic there is, was doubling up at safety the smart thing to do? Are you getting as much value out of, out of a safety than if you would have took a swing at an offensive lineman or a cornerback or a pass rusher? Third-round pick, Ardarius Stewart, off the team, was a terrible pick from the second it was made. Chad Hansen, off the team. Jordan Leggett, a replacement-level third-string tight end. Dylan Donahue, terrible pick from the second it was made, off the team. Elijah McGuire has flashed some potential, could be a good Bilal Powell replacement long-term, good value there. Jeremy Clark off the team. Derek Jones has been on the team but inactive every single game of his career, so we have not seen anything from him yet. This year, obviously way too early to make any type of judgment about any of these guys. Sam Darnold, we don't need to go in-depth on him. Nathan Shepard has really not made an impact at all this year. Chris Herndon looks like he was a very nice find in the fourth round. Uh, Parry Nickerson has struggled when he's been out there for an injured buster screen. Uh, Foley Fatsukai has been inactive every single game this year, and Trenton Cannon has played a little bit. Remains to be seen if he could be anything more than a special teams player. So, as our guy Dan Easton laid out in an article today, that draft record does not compare favorably to 
other teams who have been in similar rebuilding situations, a common rebuttal we see is, well, everybody misses on mid-round picks. And of course everyone misses on mid-round picks. But the point is, no one expects you to hit on every single one of these picks, but you need to hit a couple. You need to maybe have one hit or one home run in there. And Jordan Jenkins, I'm sorry, isn't a home run. Brandon Shell isn't a home run. Travis Kelsey's a home run. Uh, Kareem Hunt's a home run. Alvin Kamara, who allegedly was part of the almost Jets along with about 15 other players, is a home run. You need to get one of those guys every few years. The really good teams find a way to get multiple mid-round contributors who make a big impact. You look at what the Saints draft was like last year and how that's feeding into a team who is the best team in the NFL right now. Um, Cooper Cup is a mid-round hit. Uh, on Johnson looks like he could be a mid-round hit. Those are hits, and the Jets are completely absent of any of those. And their misses aren't just misses in that they're, well, these guys are just contributors. These guys aren't even in the NFL. Our Darius Stewart and Chad Hansen and Dylan Donahue were drafted last year. They're not in any NFL roster, never mind just the Jets' NFL roster. Those are bad misses when you consider who else was available uh, in the middle rounds there. So those add up and they make it a negative impact. So the general point I'm making is that in totality, you don't have a resume that merits being handed $100 million, a first-round draft pick. The decision is to build a roster around Sam Darnold and to hire a new head coach. So yes, Todd Bowles is not a good coach. The Jets should move on from him. Jeremy Bates has not been a consistent offensive coordinator or shown anywhere near enough to demand being back next year. But I think if you're cleaning house, clean house. Don't limit your pool of head coaches who might want to come here because they get retroactively paired with the GM who's now going to be on a much shorter clock than they are. So that that's sort of where I stand with everything. When you look ahead to this Jets-Bills game, this very much feels like a scenario where the Bills are the worst team in the NFL right now. Over the past three weeks, they've lost by a combined score of 105 or 103 to 20. They lost 37-5 to a Colts team that the Jets kicked the crap out of a few weeks ago at MetLife. Uh, they got beat up by the Pats. They got beat up by the Bears. Uh, they have three touchdown passes on the entire season. They have one of the most historically inept offenses in NFL history. Pretty good defense, though. Uh, I think we're looking at a scenario where McCown, there's a chance McCown's going to come in and play pretty well. And the Jets probably should still win this game. Uh, there's, there's a reason they're eight-point favorites, and I don't expect the line to move all that much with Donald and McCown swapping a quarterback. But winning this game, what does it do? What does it accomplish? Uh, I expect what it accomplishes is a lot of people saying, oh, man, if the Jets played Josh McCown all year, what would their record be? I don't know, maybe one game better? And does that serve a purpose in the long term? Josh McCown could throw for 750 yards against the Bills, and the Jets could win 55 nothing. They should still play Sam Darnold against the Patriots after the bye week because Sam Darnold is going to be the starting quarterback for the next three or four years, at least. Josh McCown most certainly will not be. And we saw what the book is on Josh McCown last year. He's going to play some good games. Then he's going to regress to the mean, and you're going to lose to Denver, and you're going to lose to Tampa, uh, and you're going to fade in the fourth quarter against Carolina and Atlanta and lose winnable games. So I don't doubt that McCown could go out and beat a really bad, really, really bad Bills team, I don't think that's going to prove anything. What I do think it's going to do is all of a sudden kick up a narrative that, well, we got to give Bulls and McCagnin a little more rope. 
they've been playing a rookie quarterback. Uh, if they were playing McCown all year, maybe this is a 500 team. So they need to come back. Dangerous to the long-term health of the franchise. So awkward scenario. Uh, to root, I don't want to say you should be rooting for this team to lose because you shouldn't. It, it's a weird, weird scenario to be in, but it's a shame to see this team at 3-6 and six, having to play a 39-year-old quarterback in an empty stadium with a limited amount of young players that fans are going to be really excited to watch play who are guaranteed to be key cornerstones moving forward. You know, you have Jamal Adams, you have Leonard Williams, uh, a safety and a defensive end. Uh, you have Anderson and Anua who are battling back from an injury. Uh, you hope to see them make some plays. Hopefully Elijah McGuire gets a bigger role on offense. Uh, but it, you have to wonder, does a win with McCown here and maybe forcing Bull's hand to try to play him in these final six games where the competition will get much harder when you play New England twice, when you play Houston, who's won six in a row, when you play Green Bay, who will be fighting for their playoff lives, when you play Tennessee, you'll be fighting for the, their playoff lives. You want Darnold to have to go through the ringer and keep learning. Uh, you want to find a smarter way to call the game, and you want to put in a guy who can snap the football to make his life a little easier. Uh, but you want him out there learning so he's better served for 2019. Reps for Josh McCown, who's not going to be the quarterback next year and will probably be a coach next year, uh, isn't really accomplishing anything for anybody. And if it's going to lead to a scenario where the Jets are going to talk themselves into year five of a bowles McCagnan regime, despite being 23-34 and 34 over three-plus seasons now, over three-and-a-half seasons, I'm not sure if that's a good thing for the long-term health of the franchise. And that's 23-34. and 34. And if you take out that five-game winning streak, which happened three years ago in 2015, this has been the worst team in football besides the Cleveland Browns. And that five-game winning streak was against uh, all teams who were under 500. The Titans were 3-13 and 13 that year. The Dolphins were 6-10 and 10 that year. The Cowboys were 4-12 that year. The Giants were 6-10 that year. And they played a Patriots team who was resting starters and made a ludicrous call on a coin toss in overtime, and they scraped out a victory. That five-game winning streak has bought three to potentially more years of job security for this regime, despite, besides that winning streak, them being 18-34, and 34, which is awful. Never being able to win road games. Never being able to win divisional games. The Jets have been swept by the Dolphins two of the past three years. Uh, they've beat New England once since this regime has taken over. Uh, they've lost to the Bills when it's mattered the most and beat them in completely meaningless spots. Uh, I just don't see it. I, I, I don't see it. Uh, but we're going to see what happens on Sunday. I think you got to hope that the young pieces I mentioned previously – the Jamal Adams, the Leonard Williams, the Elijah McGuire's, the Chris Herndon's play well, uh, and this team doesn't play stupid football. Uh, playing stupid football would be keeping Darnold on the bench if he's healthy when you come out of the bye week. But we're going to have to see how it plays out. So understandably frustrating times for Jet fans. That's my long-winded uh, solo rant on the state of things. Appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday with a new episode uh, talking through things at the bye week uh, with our more traditional format interviewing guests. Uh, so thank you everybody for listening and make sure to subscribe on iTunes.